Please note, if you're listening to this, you must be 18 years of age or older. This podcast contains adult themes and may include descriptions that listeners could find offensive. Thank you. Jealousy is never satisfied with anything short of an omniscience that would detect the subtlest fold of the heart. George Eliot. Welcome to the Kinky Nerdy Polly Podcast. This is episode 17. So I'm G. I'm M. And this is the Kinky Nerdy Polly Podcast. KMP for short. Yes. I have no idea how the evolution of that is going <laughs> at this point. It really jumped around on the names. Yes. But today, M has picked the topic, and M, what is the topic today? The topic today is on micro-cheating, jealousy, and compersion. So it's sort of a three-for-one episode. A three-for-one episode. So much value. Quality content here in this episode. Yeah. So you put micro-cheating first. Care to define what micro-cheating is? Yeah, so I actually, I heard about micro-cheating from... Facebook, someone had shared an article about it a while ago, and I was like kind of skeptical about it. I was like, that seems weird. What is micro cheating? Yeah. It immediately sent off like these red flags of like, are we going to be like hyper sensitive to what our partners are doing with like every single person that they're in touch with kind of thing? That was what my mind kind of went to. But I did read the article and it was fairly interesting as a concept, but still some of these like ideas can be, I think they can be taken in a bad way as well. Um, yes. So for sure. But I, the article we will link to in the show notes. Yes, it's the Time article, correct? It's the Time article. And in the article, they define micro-cheating. So it really, it's going to vary person to person. Yes. Because everybody has different rules about their own relationships. Yes. Much like with cheating itself, you can have different rules. If you're in a polyamorous relationship, you can be, it's fine to have sexual relations with somebody else or you could say it is not fine to have sexual relations with somebody else unless you talk to me first right exactly or it's okay to have emotional relationships versus it's not okay to have emotional relationships in terms of like you know romantic uh, not necessarily romantic but like more dominant emotionships because all relationships ultimately have some emotional component emotional component so the article quotes lindsay hoskins who says that micro-treating refers to, quote, a set of behaviors that flirts the line between faithfulness and unfaithfulness. So I kind of like how that's phrased in the article, flirting the line between faithfulness and unfaithfulness. I think that's a good play on words there. And that's pretty vague. Yes. Right. So the article goes on to say that, you know, virtually anything from Tinder swiping for fun to flirting with a cute stranger could be considered micro-cheating depending on someone's values and relationship priorities. And Hoskins, the same person who's quoted in the article, says that some of the most common transgressions she sees include frequent text or social media communication with a possible flame, regularly talking with an ex-partner, and growing too friendly with a coworker. So there's a couple different layers to this, right? On one hand, I don't want to invalidate anybody's experience with micro-cheating and other forms of emotional cheating, which I feel like micro-cheating falls under. 
But on the other hand, I already feel like we live in a society which has fairly successfully atomized itself. It's almost impossible to have any relations beyond your immediate ones. And it's very hard for people to just go out and make friends with their neighbors. So there's a part of me that's like slightly concerned about the fact that, you know, we are instituting more sort of social pressure to not form any relationships with anybody who is not your family or your partner. Yeah, it's sort of isolating. Yes. A little bit. It sort of says like, no, this person can only be mine in these ways if they're texting a person too much or if they're going out with their friends too much or whatever can be construed. You know, they're not devoting themselves to me 100%, which is just totally unrealistic. Yes. At the same time, there are some valid points that are brought up. Yes, I was vaguely aware of this concept when you brought up the idea for this episode, but I did look up, you know, sort of what some people commonly agree are like forms of micro-cheating, stuff like sexting. You know, you're not actually cheating with anybody, but you are... Well, for some people, that could be considered... Yeah. Uh, uh, full-blown cheating. Yeah, that could be full-blown cheating for some people, but for the purposes of this... Well, now I'm going to have to link this article. I think it was a bustle article. I'll find it and link it in the show notes. This article was surveying a bunch of people and asking, like, do you, what behaviors do you consider to be micro-cheating? And something like 80% said that sexting is micro-cheating micro because there is no physical act to accompany the cheating. So can I stop you there, actually? Because this is an interesting point that you're bringing up. And I think physical components to things for a lot of people, and it's not true for me, and this could have a little bit to do with the aceness that I have, the being asexual, but maybe some other components as well. For me, the physical is not necessarily like the most important aspect. So like, I know that a lot of monogamous people or even poly people who are maybe like more sexually involved with people, they place it, that emphasis on the physical intimacy itself. It's like when you cross the line is when you become physically doing a thing. Yes. And that's really interesting from an ace perspective because, or even from just this alternative perspective that for me, it's almost like the emotional bit is almost more intense than the physical bit. I mean, it greatly varies in your perspective. I think studies have shown, and now I'm going to have to go find the study to show this, I believe studies have shown that men, for the most part, care more about physical... So, for the purposes of this next sentence, I'm going to count physical and emotional cheating as two different things. And physical cheating as being like the actual act of having sex with somebody outside of your established partner. So, men, for the most part, care more about physical cheating. And women, for the most part, care more about emotional cheating. I think I've actually seen the exact opposite of that. So now I'm really curious about the study because I read a thing and it surprised me because what I read was that women tend to be more okay with their partners doing physical things with other people, mm -hmm. but less okay with the emotional thing. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. I think I understand now. Yeah. Okay. W women are okay with physical things happening as long as there is no emotional cheating. attachment. Yes. Okay. Okay, now I understand. I was interpreting it backwards. Yeah. So, yeah, and obviously that's also a very binary categorization. Yes, this is, you know, a very sort of heteronormative... Study. Study, 
yeah, didn't, yeah, consider all of the flavors uh, of people and relationships. What I hoped for this episode is that we can broaden this and talk about what does this look like in a polyamorous context. And also, just now thinking back to my last several sentences, I've been trying to make a concerted effort to say polyam or polyamorous when I'm actually speaking Mm -hmm. and to write it when it's appropriate. And I apologize if I said poly instead. Well, I mean, we're, we've been making that effort since the beginning of this podcast. Uh, well, not the beginning, beginning, but close to the beginning of this podcast. And we will continue to strive, but we will continue to err because we are only human. Indeed. So let's talk about micro-cheating and polyamorous relationships. Because, you know, from these various articles I've read, they're very sort of looking at, at a very sort of monogamous perspective of like, these two people are in a relationship with each other, and these are the behaviors that might indicate that your partner is doing micro-cheating. So how do we extend that to a polyamorous context? I think this can be applied pretty equally to polyamory, and it's just, I think the lines are going to be a little bit generally different. So again, it really depends on the person, and we've already said that. Yes. You know, your mileage may vary, but... I wanted to bring up sort of my own personal story and kind of talk about how it could have been viewed as micro-cheating if you and I, G, were not necessarily in the situation that we were in. And also just to reflect on myself too and my values. So I am really cautious with like exploring with other people because I really don't want to be doing anything that can be construed as cheating or micro-cheating. I think that's just like automatically programmed in my brain like, open communication as much as possible, right? And so as soon as I start to like start texting someone a lot, or I'm like constantly in their social media, uh, I start to feel like I'm flirting with them. I try to tell my partners as soon as possible, even if we don't have an established rule. So that's just how I am. And I think that is partially because I want to be really respectful. And I don't necessarily hold everybody to those standards as I hold myself. But I know that you, G, just started seeing someone. Yes. So I have recently established a new relationship with R. And so as our listeners may or may not know, I am a somewhat overthinker, I think is the correct word. I tend to take a lot of time to process things. And R and I have some complicated history. So I wasn't even sure once I started to express my feelings to R, whether the feelings would be reciprocated. So it wasn't until, like, the relationship was somewhat established that I told M what was going on. And I told M that this is how long it's been going on. Uh, This is kind of what we've been doing. Because I'm not trying to hide anything from M. I just wanted to know where I actually was before I actually started saying anything. Yeah, so that's a whole different perspective. And for me, I was a little bit surprised and shocked that you told me because I I didn't know that you had been seeing anybody or that you had been like building up to a relationship with someone, but I wasn't hurt or offended. But I could imagine that someone else in my shoes, whether they're polyamorous or monogamous, might have been hurt. Yes. If we had had an established rule that said, if you start to see anybody, you need, you to, need, let, to, tell me, yeah. you need to tell me. I would have told you there's the possibility that I have feels for somebody and right. they might be reciprocated. But since we did not have that established rule, like I just went through my natural process. 
Yeah, so I think what this brings up is that communicating early on what your boundaries are and what your expectations are is going to help frame what will be considered micro-cheating or cheating within your polyamorous relationship. So in this case, you know, it was no big deal for me, and I'm quite happy for you, G. Thank you. But it also was kind of eye-opening to think about, like, wow, I really handle this really differently, and I can see how if we had been in a different kind of relationship with a different setup, it would have been maybe more impactful. Yeah. So I also decided to coin this term when I was thinking about this whole thing about, like, we were talking about micro-cheating, right? Yes. And I started thinking about, like, micro-relationships. All right. Do you want to build on that? or? Yeah. I was like, well, these little, like, flirting relationships. So micro-relationships, I could see that happening in monogamy, for sure. Again, that might be considered more of a micro-cheating type thing, because you probably don't want to be having any kinds of or maybe generally you're, you're expected not to have other romantic or sexual relationships outside of that one person. But with polyamory, I think we have a lot more of these micro-relationships that can happen. Almost like naturally and fluidly. Where, especially if there's no, you know, set rules, you must tell me this, this, this. Or we, you know, we're in a strict hierarchical poly situation where there's primaries and secondaries and whatnot. It's like in the polyamorous scene where things are a little bit more relaxed or the rules aren't as strict it leaves room for these tiny casual relationships to kind of blossom do you have you experienced those kinds of micro relationships uh for the most part no but that's because i'm very socially awkward and it takes me a long time to get comfortable with somebody and i pretty much had to be comfortable with you first before i'm willing to start flirting with you so the one time that that springs to mind where this actually happened was actually when I worked on that campground, which was a fairly high-stress situation. Right, I remember Uh, that. And I grew fairly comfortable with one of my co-workers, Jay, and I eventually realized I would gotten so comfortable that I was comfortable flirting with them, and I was trying to figure out if they were flirting back at me, because it seemed like it, but I did not want to assume that that was actually happening. Fortunately, some friends came around and we were talking for a bit and Jay happened to come on by and, you know, we talked and then Jay left and I was still talking to my friends and my friend turned to me and I was like, are you two a thing? <laughs> and I was like, yes. All right. It's not just in my imagination. Um, that must have felt good. Yes. And that sort of micro relationship eventually blossomed into sort of a more full relationship. But I'm not very good on the spending enough time with a person to get to the point where I'm comfortable enough to flirt with them point. Yeah, I'm not sure about the whole flirting thing. I think at this point, I'm pretty forward in terms of like, I mean, this can be awkward, it can be socially awkward. But I think I'm more of the type that will take the initiative and say, I like you. And I want to do XYZ with you. I mean, that's generally my strategy, too. I don't think that's sort of the traditional flirting, which is kind of what I was doing with Jay. The way I sort of started this relationship with R was just like, you know, I think I'm developing feels for you. There wasn't really like a flirting period to it. And, you know, R processed their feelings for a while and they came back to me. It's like, I think I have feelings for you too. So, you know, that wasn't sort of the traditional like flirty back and forth, flirty banter that you see in like, I don't know, romantic comedies though. Right. 
romantic comedies are terrible examples of relationships. I mean, I actually think that these two things are not mutually exclusive for me. Like, I really like flirting and using the very forward, very honest approach is like almost a part of the flirting. For me, that feels that feels like flirting to me. Then again, maybe I'm not really sure. Maybe I don't have a good handle on what flirting is after all. Um, I'm going to be honest. Like, I imagine what is commonly perceived as flirting in society would be very difficult for you because of your um, pragmatic okay. language. Because a lot of it is sort of like innuendo and smoldering looks. <laughs> smoldering looks? I yeah. think I could do a smoldering look. That's not pragmatic. That's just like a... <laughs> Did I do a good... That, that was a good smoldering look. I will not deny that. But I think a lot of sort of the wordplay and innuendo. Yeah, that's the part I would have difficulty with. Yes. That's where I just, that's why my form of flirting then is like, just like, say it straight. Yes. (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. I think if society followed more your model than the current model, there'd be a lot less confusion. (laughs) (laughs) Right. We wouldn't be wondering, is that person flirting or are they not flirting? Yes. Though... Now that I've told that anecdote, I would like to touch upon a phenomenon that's mentioned both in the micro-cheating articles and that I've kind of heard more recently in the past couple years, this concept of the work wife or the work husband. Oh, yes. What is this? So it's basically somebody who you form an intense relationship with and at work and that you basically have, through various circumstances, have to spend a lot of time together. So in some ways, before Jay and I start having an actual relationship, we, you know, we spent a lot of time together because there was literally nowhere else to go because we were stuck on a campground. <laughs> so if from my partner's T's perspective, I, you know, Jay might have been my work wife, but T never used that phrasing to me. But it seems like a lot of the times that I see this sort of appear in either media or sort of pick it up on the internet is sort of like, You're in sort of like some sort of like high stress job, much like working a campground. But I've also seen like people complaining about lawyers having work wives or work husbands. Basically, like you've got sort of this high tense, this high stress job where like a lot of shit needs to be get needs to get done in the correct order or the correct time in order for things to work out. And I feel like in that sort of like grind and you're like, all right, we got to work together to like get this done and that can build like a really intense emotional relationship absolutely yeah you get Um, very close and i would say it is not dissimilar from like the feeling that soldiers feel when they've fought together for a few years right where it's like we have watched each other's backs and done our best to save each other's lives for the last three years like what do you need from me i'll do it for you right (laughs) so i think To a slightly less intense degree, because, you know, usually your life is not on the line (laughs) in most of these situations. The concept of, like, you build a relationship with somebody who has been through the same suffering that you have. Right. And it's like some work environments really foster that. Yes. That makes sense. And I think there's, I mean, like, it doesn't really apply to me in my situation, because, I mean, as a student currently... I mean, there is some high stress moments. Yes. But I do a lot of work independently. So that's both good and bad. But even then, like, I have formed really awesome 
friendships with my colleagues around our work and our research. So it's definitely not as emotionally intense and like nobody's life is on the line necessarily. But, you know, these are relationships where I'll look back and I'll be like, I had these really amazing colleagues. Yes. So from what I remember, there's something like 60 to 70% of people who responded to the survey said like having a work husband or a work wife was a form of micro cheating. Okay. And I could see that I can kind of understand where people are coming from. So I think one point that we've not actually highlighted, which I think is an important part of micro cheating and other forms of emotional cheating, is that it's you're forming an intense relationship with somebody else as you're also distancing yourself emotionally from your right. current partner. Yeah, so one of the things about, well, it can be that with micro cheating. So in the article that I read, the Time article, it says like some micro cheating, it doesn't cause you to become emotionally distant. If it's causing you to become emotionally distant from your current partner, partners, in this case, I'll, you know, try to frame it around polyamory, then it's a problem mm-hmm. or it's a bigger problem. So I think micro cheating can absolutely pose that risk. And I want to go back to what you were just saying about the work husband, work wife thing, and also bring it back to grad school in a way, because like in a lot of ways, I feel like grad school is my primary partner, if I'm going to put <laughs> um, terminologies onto it. But I know some people, I know students who have, they, their partners have been like, you spend too much time at school, or you spend too much time on your research or whatever. And it's like, when does the work it's, itself become <laughs> a threatening relationship? <laughs> maybe it's not the people at the work, maybe it's the work. Yeah, actually, this is a future topic I would like to touch upon with possibly, possibly a guest speaker. Ooh, who's the guest speaker? It is... My friend Kay. Kay. All right. Looking forward to bringing Kay on the on the show. Who has been also very helpful in listening to Way the to podcast listen. and catching some of my mistakes. Yeah, we wanna we wanna give a quick shout out to both Kay and X for bearing pre- with us. Yeah. <laughs> pre listening. So that could be a whole other topic, you're right. Yeah. Now I wanna talk about this sort of work wife, work husband thing. A little bit more. Okay. Because as someone who is AMAB, assigned male at birth, I feel like there's definitely a a social pressure on men not to form deep emotional relationships with people who are not their partners uh, to the detriment of men. And this is not, this is not breaking news, like... Feminist theory has been like talking about how men feel like they've got to dump all their emotional work on their one partner. And the one partner is like, ah, this is too much. And I worry that as a society, we're not, you know, with this work, work husband, work wife thing. Like, at what point are we going to let men just have relationships that are not their partner or their immediate family? I agree. Uh, We need more representation everywhere, in real life, in the media, everywhere, of men having emotionally fulfilling relationships with people other than their spouse or other than their girlfriend. Yes. First of all, I think that's going to take challenging heteronormativity on one level because, and also this uh, internalized homophobia, because men should be able to have strong emotional relationships with other men and those relationships don't necessarily have to be sexual or romantic 
They should also be able to get to do those things with women who are not their partner. Yeah. People of any gender. But it's a, a thing that I've seen in some of my, I was going to say younger friends, but now I actually can think of like several people who are monogamous and would say, I don't let my boyfriend text other girls. I think that's extreme. Yes. I mean, that's very controlling and very, I feel like that is indicative of a very insecure relationship. Yeah, but it seems to also play into this whole micro-cheating, emotional cheating, because these people might feel threatened. Yes. And they could perceive it as being micro-cheating or emotional cheating. Yes. So. And I think it's easy to understand why, because, so to go back to the work-wife, work-husband thing, like, my work-wife, Jay, we eventually did form a relationship because we had a pre-established intense emotional connection. And we just let that build. Now, that was okay for me because at the time, my only other partner was T and T was fine with me seeing other people. But I can understand for a monogamous couple, like how threatening, you know, that kind of emotional connection can be because that's, that can build into something more. Right. And if you are monogamous and there aren't any avenues for seeing other people. Yes. But also, you know, I think part of the reason why the these things tend to escalate is because as a society, it's like men and women just can't have deep relationship, deep friendships with one another. It always like in media, it always escalates to a sexual or romantic relationship. And as somebody who lives in the society, you know, I unconsciously like follow these scripts. Of course. And... Maybe if we, maybe if I didn't have that script in my subconscious, like I would have been able to have just like a deep, intense, emotional relationship, platonic relationship with Jay without it having to turn into a romantic or sexual relationship. That being said, though, uh, you probably are grateful for that relationship that you had. Yes, I am. Yeah. So, you know, it's not to say that there can't also be romantic and sexual relationships that come out of these situations that are. You know, they don't have to all be bad. Yes. They don't have to all cause problems. And I also think that a big part of this, especially in polyamorous situations, has to do with compersion. And so we've talked about we talked about it a little bit before. Do you want to redefine it for those who may have missed that episode? Yeah. So compersion is sort of the feeling of happiness, joy, pleasure, these sort of positive emotions at seeing or hearing about your partner experience positive things with another partner that is not you although i think it could be broad and even be said to be for when they do anything without you doing something else could be engaging in a hobby it could be yeah i feel like the compersion in the polyamorous sense is talking about like your partners having fun with other partners but i think in a more general sense like compersion happens all the time like i hate salmon but I love, I love the smile that salmon brings to your face, even mm. though I don't want to touch that fish. <laughs> Especially canned salmon. I love me. I just love uh, opening up a nice can of salmon. And I'll just eat it straight from the can. Listeners, you, you can't see how broadly Em is smiling right now, but it is very broad. Mm, Almost disturbingly broad, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Stop. So yeah, you're feeling some compersion, mm-hmm. and it, to put it into a more polyamorous perspective, and not just about 
fish, I feel much compersion hearing about your new experiences with R. And I've also felt that way with other partners when they've done things with other partners that they are, especially in these new relationships with this new relationship energy. Yeah. It's a very exciting time for everybody. So I think that with micro cheating and, and cheating, compersion can be something that can be sort of like the other side of all of this is like, if somebody in your, if you don't have rules against certain things and your partner starts texting someone and they're getting really into it, that can be an opportunity for you to have some compersion. But this is also not like the absence of jealousy. I also want to stress that too. You can experience both simultaneously. Yes. And actually, I think I have an anecdote for this where I was both very happy for my partner having a fulfilling experience, but also experiencing jealousy. But also, I would like to define jealousy a little bit, uh, because it is a very amorphous word that can have several different meanings at different times. Jealousy, generally speaking, refers to some form of negative emotion that is in relationship to a partner or significant other and the activities they're doing. Very sort of technically speaking. But there are different kinds of jealousy. Like, you can be romantically jealous of somebody and they don't even and hmm, actually let me broaden even further it doesn't even have to be a partner it can just be somebody you know like i am jealous that this person won the lottery you know and you know the reason for that jealousy is like they have a bunch of money that they just won in a lottery they don't deserve it why don't i have a bunch of money that just gets given to me so jealousy in relationships you know, there's there's several different kinds of jealousies. There can be romantic jealousy, sexual jealousy, emotional jealousy, emotional jealousy, and also the jealousy, the je- the jealousness. I'm saying jealousy so much, it's just starting to sound like jelly in my mind. Uh, the jealousness can take several different forms. It can be you can feel a deep amount of insecurity in your relationship. Or you can just be afraid of where your relationship is going. It could be anger now that, like, something is threatening your relationship. Now you're feeling jealous, which means you're angry now. Or maybe it's revealing some... Because I think a lot of the times we think about jealousy, and it's true, jealousy often points towards inner insecurities. Um, It is an emotion, and like all emotions, like, they are inherently sort of, quote, irrational in that way. Because they come less from the logical brain... And more from the pure, like, irrational part. Yeah, id. But sometimes jealousy, and um, I really want to just sometimes. It's like, rarely, but it can happen. Jealousy can also be a sign that, like, your relationship's not good in general. Like, it can actually indicate some relational problem. I mean, I feel like if there are constant sentiments of jealousy from both partners, or from multiple partners in a relationship, that probably means you've got some issues to work out because this is constantly repeating itself. I think though it can also, and this is just my feeling of it, is that if you're already having a lot of problems in your relationship, like this is actually a scenario that I've heard from my friends frequently. Like you would be amazed how often this happens. I have friends, they're monogamous and they decide to open up their relationship. And always it's like the one person had already wanted to be poly, but then the other person said no. And now all of a sudden that person wants to be poly. And the other person was like, whoa, where did that come from? Everything switches. This other person who was originally against poly, but now is totally for poly, starts seeing someone. I'm sorry, not poly, polyamorous. I'm going to try really hard. So 
This person starts seeing someone, and the original couple that were together, that were monogamous, they already had a lot of issues, and now these issues are, like, becoming exasperated because now that there's emotional distance, right? Yes. That that person's getting closer to other people over there, and then their core relationship is suffering because they're essentially using these other relationships as a coping mechanism or avoidance strategy from dealing with the core relationship or the other relationship that was to, to start. And then what this is just these I've really seen this situation happen so many times. It's, but and then so the original person who originally originally wanted to be Polly, but then got turned down. Yes. Ends up feeling some jealousy. Why yeah. don't I get to have another partner? I wanted to be Polly before, but uh, polyamorous before, but this person said no. My partner said no. Now my partner suddenly is polyamorous and has other partners and we are still struggling. And so sometimes that can come out as jealousy. Uh, Sorry for that long rant, but I actually have just heard this. This, this has played out many times for you from the sounds it of it. It has. So as a rule of thumb, listeners, if you are thinking about opening up your relationship and you're listening to our podcast, first off, thank you for listening. Second off, if you feel like your relationship is struggling in any way and you feel like going polyamorous will be the solution to the problem, I'm going to go 99% of the time that is the wrong That's answer. That's probably wrong. Unless the problem is that both of you really want to be polyamorous and you're not. Yes. Only then. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say that's the rule 100% of the time, because I certainly can think of a couple of exceptions that I have witnessed. Sure. But most of the time, you need to make sure you're, you're if you're opening up a monogamous relationship, you need that relationship to be rock solid before opening it up. That's just rule of thumb. If you're listening and you're th- contemplating about opening up your relationship. Absolutely. So, G, you wanted to talk about something that happened with T. Right. I went on a tangent about jealousy. But, yes. So, T, uh, I'm going to forget this person's name. Uh, oh, T, god damn it. I just realized the other person has the same first initial as I do. <laughs> Uh, use G2. Uh, alright. So, T started to see G2. And I was fine with that. We'd been doing polyamory for a while. We'd both had several, had gone through several other partners at this point. And, but then, uh, T came to me. And, and she said, I'm thinking about going into a DS dynamic with G2. And my first blush reaction was, oh, that's great, because, like, this is something I cannot provide for you. This has, like, been a, not a large sticking point in our relationship, but something of a sticking point in our relationship. As we have both developed into kink, we have greatly diverged in what our interests are in kink. Um, you know, you've really gotten into the, into the power exchange and the DS, and I have really not. <laughs> so... At first, I was like, oh, this is great. I'm I'm so happy for you. Lots of compersion. Like, I'm happy that this desire for power exchange that T has wanted for a very long time at this point is about to be fulfilled. Right. So, NRE stuff is happening, and I'm used to this. And uh, then 
T goes to visit G2 for like a week long trip, comes back, and T is wearing a day collar. And it was like a gut punch, like an emotional gut punch to me. Because I had previously, before I discovered that I just was not into DS, I had previously tried to give T a day collar. And basically, T never wore it. So seeing that was like a gut punch. Oof. And also, like, I I suddenly started to have all these doubts because as T started to talk more about the actual details of the DS dynamic that she was entering into, which involved a lot of training and a lot of... I don't... You might be able to use better terminology than me, but a lot of, like sculpting a person and their personality like stuff like that yeah absolutely and i was like (laughs) i was starting to be like hold on hold on i started a relationship with you and we have grown together for several years now and now you're telling me that g2 is going to now shape you to his uh specifications (laughs) yeah that can be really rough and this was also like one of the First times I really felt like intense jealousy in my life. And I was really sort of nervous about this idea that, you know, this guy who I only sort of know, uh, we, you know, we haven't become like fast friends or anything, is like going to change my partner. And given the way that T and I had set up our relationship, I don't really have a say in that. T is a big believer in relationship anarchy, where each relationship is its own thing, and not no relationship gets to have a veto over others. So, which generally, I think, is a good philosophy. I'm not complaining about that. But I was like, I suddenly felt like I had very little control in my relationship, and I didn't know what that meant for my future with T. Um, that sounds really scary. Yeah. And so we had to have like a real long conversation about what this actually meant. The fact that Sir T believes that, you know, she changes as a person like every five years or so. And so, you know, she's fine with having somebody else like shape that change. And there's a lot of back and forth, a lot of conversations going on after I saw the collar. It suddenly hit me this jealousy. So yeah, that is my anecdote about jealousy. Yeah, I think that's a good anecdote. And it also draws in the kinky aspects that things like collars, which are very significant, because that's that could be equivalent for some people to like her showing up with an engagement ring on. Yes, for some people, that's the level. Now, it doesn't have to be that way. And it sounds like it was at least a little bit different from that. Yeah, I mean, even when I was starting off and thought I was definitely a dominant, I was going to be ordering people around all day long, I was never like, yes, this is a symbol of our lifelong relationship. It was just like, nope, this is a symbol of, you know, this is a day collar I have bought for you. And I also thought it was very pretty. But that's besides the point. Yeah. And so this is actually something that we can bring back to micro-cheating as... People who are polyamorous, if they're also kinky and they're getting involved in DS relationships, especially if they have relationship anarchy where there's no, again, there's no really strict rules, things are generally pretty fluid, 
Um, of course, you can have rules in relationship anarchy to a degree. I think it's possible because you can just respect, you know, each person's individual boundaries and expectations, which can get tricky as you juggle multiple relationships because they don't always agree. Yes. But this would be just a good point to say, like, if you are considering developing a DS relationship, I would say this is my instinct is like, talk to your other partners about it. That's just my thing, though. But I mean, like you were saying, like you, you like to be more sure. So it's tricky. It's tricky to know, like, when do you tell someone? Is it when you're first exploring those feelings? Or is it later when you're more established? And that has to be a conversation. Yeah, like a majority of polyamory, a lot of this just comes down to clearly communicating what's going on. Which we did have our whole episode on communicating about communicating. Yes, we did. So if you need help communicating about communicating, communicating, (laughs) go listen to that episode. Yeah. And just, I also wanted to relate back to your story because, you know, you were really happy that T was finally able to get this DS need kind of fulfilled. Which is something that we've talked about in in other episodes about how polyamory can be good for getting needs and wants met. Yes. And like in that episode. Because you do have more flexibility. You don't need one partner to fulfill every single aspect. Similarly to that, I feel happiness and compersion knowing that you can get some of your needs fulfilled as an allosexual person. Someone who does experience sort of sexual attraction and who's sexual identity is a little bit more primary than my own. However, I think in the past, especially now I've gotten over it and I've grown, but in the past with previous partners, I have felt some, especially because of my asexuality and how it works for me personally, is that for me, sex is just not a primary identity. It's not something that I uh, seek in relationships very much. I have had that jealousy before of like, why can they have a successful sexual relationship, but like, I can't provide that. And a lot of that has gotten kind of fixed by my mindset has been kind of corrected by coming to terms with myself and just like being happy with who I am, which is still a struggle. There are, you know, many times in which I feel like, oh, it would be so much easier if I wasn't asexual. But I think this can apply to a number of other things. Yeah, I mean, since these are all social contracts you're talking about, I feel like a a great deal number of issues that stem from jealousy can be solved simply by reframing the issue in your mind. Like, so I feel like I'm tagging in the work husband, work wife thing too much, but I kind of just like the concept, but... (laughs) So can we make, I just want to make it gender neutral. There's work husband and work wife, right? Yeah. Work spouse. Work spouse? Thank you. Okay. Work spouse. So you heard it here first, folks. Work spouse, gender neutral term. So on one hand, your partner having a work spouse, you know, you could either see that as like an emotional micro cheating things like my, my partner is now spending significant amounts of time and energy with this other person who is not me or you can see it as a positive thing my partner is spending a lot of time with this person who's sharing the workload with them and that means that when he comes back from work he is not as stressed and right. has more emotional bandwidth for me right and then he doesn't have to unload all of his emotional stuff onto me yes yeah absolutely so reframing things i think this is going to be a really good 
final note for us on this episode is micro-cheating is definitely a thing. I think, and I think that you agree, G, that it can be used sort of in an abusive, controlling manner. But it also can cause emotional distance if it goes out of hand. Yes. Or isn't communicated properly about. But perhaps reframing things and looking into ourselves, our own insecurities, and also our own joys can help to navigate some of these issues. Yes. So... As a final note, if you like our content and would like to see us not go on hiatus in the future, uh, if you could go to the bottom of the show notes and click on the link that is the tip jar, uh, we would really appreciate it. It is, you know, I have bought a fancy new microphone for the show so that we are no longer having to rely on my roommate. We will uh, also probably be renewing our domain and our website. Yes. So uh, all of these things cost money for upkeep, yes. um, plus all of our our own time and energy that we've spent into producing marketing and putting out this podcast. Yes. And I would at some point like to put out shirts because I feel like having, having a shirt. We do have some shirt requests from a listener, actually the room on the moon thing and (laughs) also alligator in the swimming pool. (laughs) Okay. Both of these were uh, suggested by a listener. Yes. And I, Listeners, I'm going to share something with you, something deep and personal. I would really like to be able to put out a K&P you, podcast shoe. You've already talked about this shoe. All I've right. talked about it with you. I've not talked about it with the listeners. Okay. I thought we did talk about it with the listeners. M has heard a lot about this shoe. <laughs> Maybe someday, listeners. But uh, to get to that point, we need to at least get to the point where we're self-sustaining. <laughs> so if you'd like to support us, please, please. check out that link at the bottom of the show notes also we would really appreciate it if you share this podcast with your friends and with anybody who you think might benefit from learning about kinky nerdy or polyamorous stuff friends enemies or frenemies yes this is g this is m don't be afraid to love how you love love what you love and love who you love If you'd like to get in touch with either M or myself, you can tweet us at KMP Podcast. You can find us at kmppodcast.tumblr.com, or you can email us at kinky.nerdy.poly at gmail.com. Yeah, so now we're in M's room on the moon. Yes. Because uh, M stands for moon? No, M stands for marketing moon. Well, how and can the, you there's have a bot more? afterwards. Well, marketing moon is two words. No, you just hyphenate it. Hyphenate it. Yes. So why can't I be MM bot? Because M bot. You're M bot. I have christened you M bot. All right, fine. Marketing moon bot. Yes, you're you're now the marketing moon. I bot. do the marketing for the moon. Uh, both. You market for the moon, and you do your marketing on the on moon. On the moon, of course. I mean, we have to do the marketing from the moon. Yes. Because we're there. Yes. Currently. hmm But I also have to market for the moon. Yes. Everybody, listeners, I just want to tell you how great the moon is. Look, you don't want to pass up a chance to come to the moon. Come visit the Sea of Tranquility. <laughs> and your two favorite podcasters. Yes. G... And Adam. We're assuming that we're your favorite podcasters, if you're still listening to this. (laughs)
probably a little arrogant or conceited, but meh. I mean, that, that's what marketing's all about, you know, expressing confidence, right? Confidence. What does confidence mean? Confidence means Toyota. <laughs> <laughs> Or if I'm hired by a slightly different automobile company, confidence means Subaru. 